This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer Squad. So how bad is the situation in long-term care? On Friday, the province's own commission into long-term care unexpectedly released interim recommendations because they are worried that we are not prepared for a second wave and headed for another disaster. The numbers tell the tale. Right now, 86 homes are in outbreak. There are 381 resident cases and 295 staff cases. And these, this is up from very minimal numbers in September. So the minister says you can't snap your fingers and find qualified people to work in long-term care. We know that one of the biggest issues is a staff shortage, but the union says there are plenty of people available to work. And as a matter of fact, during the emergency, they were dispatched to do just that. The union is also miffed about a salary cap. So lots of things happening there. The opposition, as you heard in Bob's news, is calling for Dr. Marilee Fulton's, Fullerton's resignation. And uh, as I remember, the last time we checked in here with the squad, Peter Mugridge was thinking she wouldn't last the week, but hey, why don't we start there? She's still there. Let me give you the numbers. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. So should Marilee Fullerton be fired? Will that solve anything? You tell me. Right now, let's bring in David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hello. Good afternoon, Libby. Okay, let's start with Peter. So are, are you surprised that Fullerton is still there? Well, she's hanging on by a thread. I mean, um, the NDP leader is calling for her ouster and um you know the pressure's growing and if this second wave develops like the first wave did i i, I don't see how she survives her job but again i i didn't think she'd last the week and she did so i've i've been wrong and before and perhaps she will last but but i i think the pressure is getting too much and she'll either just resign or uh ford will have to do pull the trigger well either way uh it's it's a resignation i mean i you know honestly uh a lot of people are surprised that she's lasted this long uh david what's your view i have a uh with no inside knowledge zero probably less understanding of it than peter does but i have a counterpoint of view and that is if they let her go that is to acknowledge that there was stuff that she could have done and they could have done that they didn't do, as opposed to the narrative that they're pushing, which is we inherited this mess. Uh, all kinds of things were wrong with the long-term care system, even without COVID-19. Now along comes COVID-19. We're doing what we can. It'll get better. Um, that's the narrative. So if she walks the plank either forcibly or or not, 
they're conceding that yeah, you know, there was lots that we could have done, and she was uh, she messed up in her job, and I don't I don't see what advantage there is to them um, creating that narrative. So I think they're going to do it whatever they can to circle the wagons. It may not be enough, but I don't think they're going to want to. Uh, uh, see her go. Well, That's... conversely, David, they could they could just tie it all on her and uh, you know let her be the scapegoat for it. And well, then... but I'd love that if I'm Andrea Horvath. I mean, you mean to tell me, Mr. Premier, that all during this time you were willing to allow this incompetent minister to stay in her post, knowing that people were dying. And and don't forget that he was he was out there front and center talking about how horrified he was, and his mother in law yeah. and yeah. and how no stone was unturned unturned. So uh, he's got to wear some of it. But um, I mean, I you know you're you're both right. Uh, you know, it's it's something that all governments do. They blame the government that came before, and she is right that there was years of neglect. But I guess, Bill, one of the questions is how how long can you can you get away with uh, with that? Well, that's exactly what our CARP members are are asking. It's been six months uh, or more, uh, and the system hasn't changed. And the the commission report underlined the fact that nothing much is. Uh, uh, change. You no, know, you can't snap your uh, uh, fingers to to make it happen. But it's been months, uh, and even this even this commission that we're talking about now. I mean, it it uh, announced last May, created in July, uh, made its plans to start meeting in September, and they're not even delivering a report uh, until April thirtieth, uh, twenty twenty one, unless we get some interim ones like we just had. Uh, Last week, somebody is doing too little, too late, and and either the government as a whole is going to take is going to take the can for it, or uh, uh, some individual uh, like uh, the minister is going to have to bite the dust. You know what? I was heartened that the commission members were saying they're ready to put themselves out of the business. They said, "We don't need any more study of this. Do something." I mean, I I thought that whole thing because that was really very unexpected that they made these recommendations, and of course, they recommended something that has been recommended by advocates for years, and that is that you need staffing at a level where every resident gets four hours of care a day. Yeah, I was really surprised to to see that there is no standard of uh, minimum care. They're recommending uh, four hours uh, a day. So I went back to look to see what the current is, and there's there's no standard at all. They just leave that up to the uh, local management to decide what the standard of care should be. Unbelievable. Well, and... David, is is part of the problem, I mean, you know, uh, we talk to the Nursing Association very often, but they've got regular union issues. I mean, they're talking, they're, they're upset about a salary cap, and they're saying, well, we don't just need PSWs, we need this much of, of uh, registered nurses, uh, another amount of, of um, registered practical nurses. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to tease out the, you know, the regular types of union wage uh, seniority type of issues with, you know, what is really the crisis there? It's, you're quite right. And it's, it's compounded by the fact that there's no context for any of this. So if there are no standards, if there are no staffing requirements, if there are no written, uh, you know, guidelines as to what's expected even, you know, without uh, coronavirus, 
this whole situation, by the way, is compounded by media reports over the past few days of uh, 80% of nursing homes that have been written up by, by inspectors. And I remember Libby, months ago, we were complaining, not enough inspectors. What are they doing? What are they doing? And now we they find were out inspecting even, by it, telephone, too. Yeah, but, but now we find <laughs> out even when they inspected and wrote it up, this is pre-COVID, pre-COVID, um, many nursing homes with multiple violations year after year after year, no sanctions against them, no consequences for failing the inspection. So you have a perfect storm of flaky information, no unified standards. Uh, no, And so, of course, every voice steps forward and says, we've got the answer. No, we've got the answer. No, the answer's over there. And the government, of course, is uh, doing what uh, every government does of every party is that, you know, they optics comes first. And I'm not saying that that they want bad outcomes, but they're being tossed around like a like a ping pong ball here because they have never set a, a agreed agreed upon set of standards and criteria that everybody can kind of latch onto. So it's a it's a complete vacuum. Well, exactly. Uh, and in terms of the violations, I mean. The argument always seems to be, well, what can we do? Where are those people going to go? I mean, is that a valid argument anymore? Peter? Well, it, it's never been a valid argument. It, it's always been an excuse, I think, rather than an argument. And, uh, um, you know, these issues, um, it, it's too late to, to lay blame and, and defend themselves. Like, we, we have a second wave upon us. And we just have to put all that aside and get to work. And uh, I, I guess the the, um, the recommendations are a start, but but they don't really say anything new, you know. So um, I, I think what needs to be done, and and, and you know, I, I I've been uh, puzzling over this, but but to have some sort of flying squad that can go in. There's an outbreak in Ottawa. Go in, sort it out, get the home running, the management buying in move on to the next outbreak in Durham, I think move on they... to the next one. And, but I, I just, we're not seeing any of that sort of instant response uh, capability in any of these things. It's just add more staffing, add more staffing. You know? No, 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 there, there is that. And I don't understand why, if you're talking about, you know, marketing your efforts, why the province is not publicizing those things more. But there's a a kind of hub and spoke system where hospitals are responsible for some nursing homes, at least when it comes to getting a handle on infection control and things like that. And over the past week, we've seen, I think for two, when things get out of control, like for that nursing home in Ottawa, and uh, there's one here as well, they, they give the management over to a hospital group. I don't know if that is to the extent of a flying squad, but they are doing that. Is that, um, I don't know, it's, it's just a Band-Aid, though, isn't it, David? But even that is in the context of what? I mean, if they were to say, look, we've identified we need a 1,000 mobile workers, okay? We are making that number up. We need a 1,000 people ready to be deployed as a flying squad, and then we'll get through this. They, they're not... They're not presenting what they think the problem is. Is it a crisis or isn't? And by the way, the statistics, I can prove both sides of the argument. I can literally argue both sides of the coin. Up until September the 30th, as of Ontario's website this morning, there were 2,848 deaths in the entire province. Since then, there have been only, there have been less than 200 additional deaths. Now, is that because we haven't seen the second wave yet? 
Is that because our treatments are getting better? Is that because um, the testing is getting better? No context, no idea. So I could say that's good news. In an entire month, only uh, about 200 deaths. You could say back to me, yeah, but wait, now the worst is going to come. You said earlier, Libby, quite rightly, 86 homes have an active outbreak. But if you go on the Ontario website, they call an active outbreak one case. Right. And there's 296 homes where there is no outbreak. Does that mean we're winning? Or does that mean the 86 homes where there is an outbreak, the sky is falling? Do we need a 1,000 flying squad people? Will 500 do? As long as they don't have a plan and a point of view that they can articulate that ties all these loose threads together, they're going to get what they're getting, which is a cacophony of voices, of numbers, of the sky is falling. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. And really, I think it's their fault for not setting uh, a landscape that they believe in that we can all understand because everybody's got their own opinion now because there's there's no there's no unifying vision here. Well, it, like I said, I I've been very surprised that even from a communications standpoint that they haven't made more about these uh, hospitals taking a, a, a lot of responsibility. And it's just, you know, one of dozens of press releases when the management takes over. I have never seen a thing that said, okay, this is what we're doing in terms of oversight. And whenever a situation gets what we deem to be out of control, the management gets taken over. Uh, instead, exactly. you know, exactly. they, they don't even have to do anything different than the, what they're doing, but their their communications is really poor. Well, when you allow right. one case to be called an active outbreak, then uh, just from an optics point of view, then, you know, you deserve whatever uh, firestorm you get, frankly. Okay, well, there there's another argument for that too, David. That, that uh, one is an outbreak in a nursing home because well, one leads I, to know, many. I'm not, I'm not I'm not questioning the science of it. I'm just saying, from a communications point of view, who would ever, if you wanted to present yourself in the best light, who would ever allow that definition to stand? Maybe I mean, in the five cases, or and the other thing. Let me just quickly say, months ago, we were talking about the whole point of the lockdown. The whole point of everything was to prevent the hospitals from being overwhelmed. Now here comes the second wave. Are the hospitals overwhelmed? How close are they to being overwhelmed? Are we winning the war? Is it working? Zip. Nothing nothing to explain. They're filling up. They're filling up, and they have a lot of people from long-term care, which they did not have the last time. So I know. I know, Libby. That's one of the surprising things. Uh, One of the things that the commission said is that they should formalize the relationship between the homes, the hospitals, and the public health units. You mean those aren't already, there isn't already an organized relationship between public health and hospitals and the long-term care homes? You know, if you or I run a business, one of the first things we do is organize our relationship with our clients, customers, and suppliers. So why wouldn't somebody in the long-term care business not have the same good basic business procedures and have these relationships already in place? Is it all being ad hoc? Sounds like it. Well, it's, it's, it's again, I'm saying I'm not sure it's ad hoc. I know that it's being done and and uh, being done effectively in some cases, but it's 
it's sort of ad hoc. I don't know. And it, it again, it, it, it certainly, you would think that if nothing else, if, if uh, a minister is a do nothing, you'd think they'd have some kind of handle on, on how to communicate. Uh, but no, no, <laughs> not in this case. Uh, Bill, uh, the Maritimes, Howard, I, I think I heard that there are suddenly a few cases in the Maritimes, but really a, a few, just a few. Yes, there there are. Uh, all of them to date in the last few weeks have been uh, travel related. In other words, somebody coming back from somewhere else, uh, usually from Ontario, uh, and they've uh, been isolated and kept clear. So, there were there were only two cases where it got into any kind of uh, outbreak in the uh, community, and that's because some people did not isolate when they uh, when they came back. But uh, we're holding our breath because the 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 lack of planning, the lack of organization between long term care re- residences and the supports they should be having through hospitals and public health aren't uh, aren't here either, and the staffing situation like Ontario is is really at risk because uh, the less and less staff are going back to work and the government is not doing what it promised in terms of uh, providing some way of providing more staff and and yeah, and we've got we've got to have more cooperation between uh, unions, the long-term care facilities, and the government in terms of working these things out because they're still throwing darts at each other and not cooperating for the sake of uh, all our loved ones who are in long-term care. Uh, yeah, and and Peter, what's your sense of is the public tired of hearing about this or still fired up like before? Well, you know, you can only get so much bad news before you, you get sort of numb to it. And uh, I think that's where, that's where the public is right now. For those who have loved ones in homes, they're, they're you know, they're, they're highly aware of the situation and, and are following it uh, step by step. But, but for the general public, I think they've just sort of, uh, you know, they're numb to all this bad news coming out of nursing homes and, and uh, you know, the, the inability of the government to respond and the... The, the just general massiveness of the, of the problem. And, and it's, it's certainly having a numbing effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Peter, I think that's true in terms of the general public, but I can tell you with our CARP members and their friends, our social media at CARP has not been as active uh, uh, in the last couple of months. It has been over this weekend after this report came out uh, uh, last week. Our CARP members are shocked, they're appalled, they're using the strongest words possible and talking about how disheartened they are to think that after all this time, uh, our government hasn't learned the lessons to make uh, long-term care safer. Uh, let me throw the numbers out again, because I would like to hear from people. We have, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time left in this conversation. So w- what do you think about those recommendations coming out? Uh, what is your experience if you or you have a loved one in long-term care? Maybe you're in long-term care and listening from there, uh, you know, do you feel safe? Do you feel like it's going to be better this time, or are you on pins and needles saying, here we go again? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 
740. We're talking about long-term care, the fact that there was very unexpected interim recommendations released by the Long-Term Care Commission here in Ontario, sounding alarm bells. And what has happened? What is better now? Because we're in a second wave. It hasn't quite hit. Uh, I mean, it is in nursing homes. It's it's not anything like it was last spring, perhaps not yet. And the government's been saying, we're going to deal with this. We're on it. No stone unturned. And yet here we are. Again, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740-4740. I mean, I would think honestly that the Ontario government realizes I'm, I'm sure there will be a price to pay if, if after all that talk, nothing happens. Well, it's, it's perfectly true. I think they do realize it, which is why they're, you know, scrambling so much and they're trying to look busy, busy. But I'm, but you know, what's shocking to me too is this interim report comes out. Who did they speak to at the Ministry of Long-Term Care before they released this report? What makes them sound this alarm? Uh, if they spoke to somebody at the Ministry of Long-Term Care or people, per uh, Peter's earlier point, and they were told, don't worry, we've arranged an emergency task force of uh, uh, the army doctors or nurses or a flying t- squad of people, maybe the report would have been different. Clearly, they were alarmed, but also they must have been uh, not not sufficiently communicated with or not sufficiently informed to the contrary for them to have issued this report in the first place. Well, so you that know, speaks to silence again by the government. Well, you know what? I, I suspect that this long-term care commission was kind of doing its work on the side and w- whatever is happening at the local level, I, it's just, again, it boggles the mind because, uh, I was talking to Dr. Susie Hota from the University Health Network and Before I spoke to her, I was actually surprised to learn that she was at the center of this kind of hub and spoke arrangement. And granted, it's, it's not necessarily just for emergency care. It's, it's for getting a handle on the infection control, but that is such a key part of it. Uh, let's take a call from Murray and Malton. Hello, Murray. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good, good. Uh, this, uh, nursing home thing, if uh, they have to uh, have a health department come in and inspect, and I'd imagine that's just for the kitchen. But what if the, the inspector on the, the the care side of it posts all the violations on, on the window and uh, the home has to keep it there, and then anybody looking for a home would be able to see what kind of violations that uh, nursing home had? Uh yeah, um, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Except a lot that, of these that places makes way are too full. much sense, Murray. Way too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the problem with the government. Anything that makes real sense is <laughs> right. not possible. Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Murray. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 back to that, uh, excuse that I keep hearing, and that's that, well, you can't do anything about it. You can't shut them down because where will all those people go? But there are things they can uh, do about it. It's hard to believe, for instance, that the commission had to recommend that every home have an infection and prevention and control measures leader 
to make sure the staff are properly trained. You mean that didn't happen six months ago? Didn't that happen prior to COVID uh, when we were talking about the annual uh, influenza problems in long-term care homes? Yet there isn't somebody in every home yet who's responsible for infection and prevention uh, control. Uh, It's unbelievable to think that that would not have already been in place. Of course. And as for where are the people going to go, that's fine if these inspections come along now for the very first time and we're discovering right in the middle of the pandemic that there's not enough trained people in at this address. But some of these homes have got uh, annual inspection reports that go back once, twice, three times or longer. And it would have been possible for the government to say, uh, you have six months to remedy this or I made that number up, you have X months to remedy this, or you're out of business, and we will move the people, and we will find uh, alternative accommodation. Um, They just left it alone. They didn't do anything. There was no consequences for failing an inspection, and that's just why have the inspectors in. Why not just be honest and say we don't care? It boggles the mind because uh, one of the issues with those inspections is that these homes would get a, a heads up. Before the inspection, they could, you know, chart things up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, but even they, with that, they failed. Yeah, <laughs> many of them. Well, they, they don't give restaurants times. a heads up, you know, for them to clean up their kitchens and get everything, you know, get rid of the mice and stuff like that. They don't give them a heads up. The health department just comes in unannounced and uh, does inspections, and it should work that way probably with nursing homes too. Yeah, and well, it. it it should. And, you know, in the reports, thousands of, uh, of, uh, play, of times that they have uh, not lived up to the regulation, yet less than 2% of those regulations were, uh, were also enforced in any way. So we have to assume that it's just happening over and over again uh, and because nothing's being done about it. Okay. Uh, we're basically uh, almost out of time. So what do we do? What happens in the next week on this issue? Peter? Well, maybe not the next week, Libby, but down the road um, in in the Globe today, I had a story on the the vaccine uh, success at the the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine study. So, um, you know, that seems to be our only hope right now is is getting a vaccine that works well and and getting it approved and distributed. Bill, one of the things that CARP has been talking about over and over again, and the commission mentioned it again, is that we have to ensure that families and caregivers have an ongoing, safe, and managed access to their loved ones who are long-term care residents. And that's one that surely they can do right right away and is so important for the mental health and the comfort of, of families and the residents. Good point. And David? I think that it's up to everyone, and CARP is certainly intending to do this going forward, uh, uh, to repeat the questions and the issues directly to uh, government ministers. And we're going to be putting a mechanism on the CARP uh, website to enable people to do that. So... Uh, the Minister of Long-Term Care shouldn't face questions only during question period in the legislature. We should be, you know, flooding her inbox with the same question. What are you going to do about it? Because unless the pressure becomes very intense and the government sees clearly that the public is riled up, not just the opposition parties, then I don't think you're going to see any action, frankly. 
Okay. Well, I, I hope that we have some good news when we talk again in a week's time, but I'm not holding my breath. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, David Kravitz, and Bill Van Gorder, our Zoomer squad. Thanks, Thank Libby. You, Thanks, Rebby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.